Well, we are in 2 Samuel 16. Okay, let's all wake up. Here we go. Lord, we just lay this before you, knowing that you have called us to draw near to you. And as we're heading into this new season, we are excited for the new wineskin and the new wine and, and what you're doing and changing things up for when we meet to how we meet to focus on, on you and the fellowship with one another and building one another, discipling one another. Lord, thank you for that message last week from Craig. Lord, just use it mightily to continue to instill in us the importance of getting out of our comfort zone, getting out of traditional Christianity that can kill us often and become disciplers as well as a disciple. In Jesus' precious name, open your word now to us as we look at this life of Ahithophel. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, this week we pick up in verse 15 of 2 Samuel 16, and it says this, Meanwhile, Absalom and all the people and the men of Israel came to Jerusalem, and, last but not least, Ahithophel was with him. Now, before you leave today, you're going to know this person, Ahithophel. He's actually an important moment in time, a cautionary tale of how bitterness can bring down the most godly, gifted, righteous, awesome men. And in essence, we learn that if it can happen to Ahithophel, it can happen to anyone. What do we know about this guy? We know that as we look at it, he was the grandpa of Bathsheba. Now, interesting, her dad, Eliab, is mentioned later in 2 Samuel, still as a follower of David. So I personally think that Eliab was there when Bathsheba's first baby, David's baby, from adultery, died. David, as we read Psalm 34, he was basically bedridden for a year, just laying on his couch, weeping, and his bones melting, and he, he just did not imagine that God could ever have grace and mercy and forgive such a, a horrible sin from somebody who had received so much until Nathan said, you're the man, David. And David said, I've sinned. In the same verse, he says, you're also forgiven. But I think Eliab was there and saw the torment that David went through and heard the prophecies of the punishment that God was going to lay upon David, which was severe. But also David set in motion reaping what he sowed in some just horrific ways, things that were coming. So things that did happen with the death of their baby, the, the torment David went through to almost a year just after this adultery and murder of her husband Uriah. But Ahithophel, it seems, just left town, went back to where his roots were, left the palace, you know, emptied out his inner city of Jerusalem, condominium, and, and just went to just stew. A wealthy man, a pronounced, a, a renowned man, but just didn't deal with it. 
But just in his mind, David should have been dethroned. David shouldn't be on the throne. That's it. He should be taken off and he should be humiliated. And, and it just festered and stirred over a period of years. Here's the interesting thing about him. We are going to learn today in verse 23 that Ahithophel was so godly. God's spirit was so with him. It says that when he spoke, it was as if the oracles of God, it was as if God was speaking. This guy was batting a thousand. He just had this deep gift of the word of wisdom that was just unmatched. But we also learn that he was one of David's best friends, if not his best friend. And how they spent most of their time was going to worship and seek God. We learned this in a couple of psalms that David wrote during this time. Psalm 41, just to read a little bit of it, you can hear uh, what David's going through in verses 5 through 8. In Psalm 41, he said, My enemies speak evil of me. When will he die and his name perish? And if he comes to see me, he speaks lies. His heart gathers iniquity to itself. When he goes out, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together against me, against me that devise my hurt and evil disease. They say, cling to him. And now that he lies down, he will rise up no more. So these guys are just acting all nice on the outside, but they're just wishing he would die and, and nobody would ever hear his name again. They just wish that some disease would come on him and eat his flesh up and he would die in some painful hideous, unglorious way and be gone. But then in verse 9, he says, I get this from my enemies. But then he says in Psalm 41, verse 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his hill against me. Psalm 55, again, just a little snippet in verse 12 and 14. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor it is the one who hates me, when, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God in the throng. Now, what's interesting about this is when we look at words in the Old Testament, especially prophecies, they have what's called a near fulfillment and then a far fulfillment. For example, Moses said, God's going to raise up a prophet after me who will lead the people into the promised land. And you say, well, that was Joshua. Yes, it was. But when we come to the book of Acts, it was preached that that one would be Jesus who would be the one to fulfill that prophecy. And immediate was Joshua in a very weak way, really. He didn't really give them great victory in the promised land. But the ultimate fulfillment was in the one who would be raised up, Jesus. And here, this is a picture of what Jesus would go through. And so these Psalms are quoted in the New Testament of Judas. And so when Jesus is being betrayed by Judas, he is saying this, he actually quotes this verbatim in, 
in John 18, this one whom I give the bread is lifted up his hill. And Jesus said, whom I give this bread and hand it to is the one who betrays me. And so you can see that Judas and Jesus had a very special, unique relationship. And when Jesus was betrayed, it was just piercing to his soul because he was one of the 12 guys that he'd got to be so very close with. And David now, as a picture of Christ, the one that Jesus said, I am the son of David. I will sit upon the throne of David. We see him now being injured by his son, trying to betray him and overthrow him. He, he listens to a Shammai, a guy who had mercy on, a, a relative of Saul, kick dust on him and, and just say all kinds of lies that he murdered Saul and stole his throne. He had no right to be the king. He's just a dumb shepherd from Bethlehem. And then Ziba comes out and says, Mephibosheth, this lame child of grandson of Saul that David didn't just show kindness. He gave him everything Saul ever owned and, and made him wealthy and had him live in the palace and eat at his table as one of his own kids has heard that he's betrayed him. And now just keep adding insult to injury, salt in the wound. Now Ahithophel, this guy that I never would have pictured could get swept up in this evil heart of Absalom. It's like you would think Ahithophel with this amazing wisdom would just see right through it going, God can't honor this. You can't by force and power and, and manipulation over a period of years overthrow David and that's the foundation of the next kingdom. And from that foundation of splitting the kingdom, overthrowing the kingdom, causing a civil war, and, and, and you're, that's going to be the foundation on which you're going to build the next kingdom. That's, that's foolishness. That's not going to stand. But instead, Ahithophel, we know from earlier verses, had been talking to Absalom, and they had this thing planned probably a couple of years at least in advance. And when Absalom was being inaugurated there in Hebron, Ahithophel was standing with him. And now we see that Absalom and Ahithophel are marching into Jerusalem with no resistance at all. Absalom goes into the throne room and sets down. And I can just look at the evil grin on his face the feelings of satisfaction with, Abs with Ahithophel, saying, our plan has worked. That wicked man who shouldn't have been king after what he did to my grandkids, that king, that fleshly sinful guy, he's not righteous enough, he should have been off the throne immediately. But now what God didn't do, we have done. And God's with us. It's a, it's a self-righteous spirit that Absalom has and, and Ahithophel. It's, it's an evil, evil spirit. But no doubt they felt justified and that God's hand was with them. Well, in verses 16 to 19, we once again tap into something David had set up back in chapter 15. The priests were going to go with David with the ark. 
And David said, guys, go back. Take the ark with you. Hushy. You're, you're sort of new on the rise, and, and you've been being elevated in the kingdom, but it would be believable that you would have better opportunities in a new king. Absalom will believe it. I need you to go be a double agent and deceive him, lie to him, look loyal to him, and get him to believe that you are going to be 100% for him as you were for me. And the priest, listen, you are my communication center. Hushi's going to come up to worship God. He's going to tell you guys, you send your kids out to me to, so I can have a, a communication network of what uh, is being set up by these guys. So David was a, a shrewd warrior, first of all, above almost anything. And uh, he was a guy who had been trained and maybe thought through what would happen, and he was ready. And so there in verse 16 to 19, Hushi goes back, and Absalom's, you know, wondering, but Hushi persuades him, says, no, I'm 100% for you like I was with your dad. And so now he's got a collection of, of Hushi, this amazing guy, Ahithophel, the wisest guy that's ever been in the kingdom, and himself, and he says, guys... What is first on the agenda? And in verse 20, let's read together. And Absalom said to Ahithophel, give advice as to what we should do. And Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all of Israel will hear that you are abhorred by your father. Then the hands of all who are with you will be strong. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. And Absalom went in to his father's concubines in the sight of all of Israel. I'm sure that Ahithophel has been stirring on this for such a long time. His heart is gone from this guy that was in tune with God, who was getting wisdom from the Lord to this heart of anger, righteous anger at first, but then he didn't deal with it. He didn't talk to David. He didn't see what was going on. He just stirred and stirred until it turned into a, a, a bitterness. And then that bitterness, you gotta understand, it, it turns into a self-righteousness. It's, it's not that just I feel this way, God feels this way. The revenge I want is what God wants. As sadistic and, and as bizarre as it sounds. And, and people often think when people are like that, you can talk to them and make a difference. Guys, the ability to, to, for them to think logically has left a long time before this. David could have got on his knees. He could have wept. He could have kissed Ahithophel's feet. He could have apologized up and down. His own granddaughter could have said, forgive him. Forgive me. We're so sorry. Here's what's gone on. Here's how God's, what God, you know, he could, Ahithophel wouldn't have heard it. You got to understand. His heart at that time was, was darkened to the point that it couldn't be reversed. You, you got to understand this, guys. 
that bitterness can take you to the point of no return. And so I'm sure Ahithophel's thinking, okay, David was up on the roof checking out all the gals bathing because all the guys were out to war where David should have been. And there he sees up on this particular spot on his roof, Bathsheba, and gets her sent up to maybe the roof. We don't know that, but we're starting to think maybe that's where they had their sword affair for a few days. And Ahithophel's thinking, in that spot, I want ten times the adultery that David did. Now, back in chapter 12, where God said, David, you've set some things in motion doing this. Because of this, the sword's going to never leave your house. Because of this, there's a day coming when somebody who is close to you is going to do this to you on the roof publicly far worse than, than you did with Bathsheba. This is something you sowed to the wind. You're going to reap the whirlwind. You sowed a little tiny uh, seed of the great oak, but you're going to get an oak tree. And now it's happening. And understand, when God prophesies these things, it's not God wanting them. It's not God doing them. It's not saying God's for this. He's just, God knows the future. And, and God can see that this is what's going to happen. I'm just telling you now, brace yourself. And, and for all of us to see, guys, no matter how much that pleasure is for the moment, no matter how satisfying that greed of stealing or that lust of whatever is, no matter how much it satisfies for those few minutes, that little seed, that little white lie, that little tiny, you know, tiptoe over the line, it's, it's, it's 100% of the time, not 99%, 100% of the time, you are going to reap what you've sown. And it, it should just cause all of us to have goosebumps all over our body to, to, to realize the beginning of wisdom is what? To fear God. Beginning of knowledge is what? Fear the Lord. Yeah, I, I, um, I was having a Bible study with our kids one time and our pastor friend from uh, Whittier, the, the Schaefer's came up and they're like, well, what do you guys do at this night, this time? There's been a few days. And I said, well, we have our, our Bible study. And he goes, well, just give it to all of us. And, and, um, and uh, I, I said, um, well, last time we studied that, that the beginning of the fear of God is, is what? What's that? What's the beginning of that? And and they're looking in their Bibles, and and I said, what what is the beginning of of wisdom? That's what I asked. What's the beginning of wisdom? To fear God, and and so I'm asking the kids, what's the beginning? Of course, my kids are like, have we ever talked about this ever? I don't remember that, you know. And the one little girl that was learning her phonics, I said, what's the beginning of wisdom? And she's looking around like. This is so easy. I figured one of my older brothers or sisters would knock this out of the park. And she says, wah. <laughs> What's the beginning of wisdom? Wah. And, uh, and it's like, yes, it is wah, but it's also the fear of God. And uh, so 
the beginning of wisdom here is, is to just know that, that God will not be mocked. And we are powerful individuals and our choices are equally powerful to God himself. Do you understand that? We've been made in God's image. And in one way, God has said, you can love me, you can hate me. You can obey me or you can be completely rebellious to me. And I'm not going to stop you on either realm. And here we see that Ahithophel, this guy who's been filled with the spirit, has the, when he speaks, it's like God's mouth was opening. Now he's saying, first on the agenda, go get his concubines. And in, in 2 Samuel 12, he says, your wives of David, they were sort of wives, secondary wives, and take them up and let everybody know. And he said, everybody will know how serious you are about this. And of course, Ahithophel, it's all about his personal revenge. It wasn't about helping Absalom, but he convinced Absalom that people now will be with you. They'll know that there's no treaty to be made with David and say, well, you know, let's, let's agree to disagree and I'll govern over here and you govern over there. He did not want that to happen. And so let, let's understand here a point of clarification that all of Ahithophel's calculations about David were right. David committed adultery, death sentence. David blasphemed God's name, not just in Israel, but all the world. He should be taken off the throne. God said, no, that's not my plan. And Ahithophel did not like that. He murdered an innocent, righteous, amazing, noble guy, Uriah. Death sentence, true. Well, he should be put to death. God said, no, it's not what I'm going to do. And Ahithophel's just... So understand, guys, your bitterness is probably based in truth, in rightness. You're right. Well, Brian, you know, I'm angry and I'm bitter. You know, let me explain to you what, this did, what they did. Blah, 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 blah. And I'll listen to it. And I'm like, man, yeah, that's, that's tough because you are 100% right. They are 100% wrong, evil, greedy, lustful. Criminals, sinful. But understand, even though you are right, by hanging on to that, you won't be right. <laughs> and not only will you not be right by being right, but I'm right. Yes, you are, but you're not going to be right. You're not right in your heart. You can't handle this. And you've got to understand that that anger is going to turn into bitterness, and then it's going to keep growing until it defiles many, until it's a wicked, evil thing. And so remember that when you're on that path, you're right. And now I'm angry. Now I'm bitter. It turns into a self-righteousness. And now you convince yourself, not only am I thinking this, God is speaking this. God is with me. And people have a hyper-spirituality of saying, God told me, God showed me, and let me tell you this, and that... And then what happens? It turns into a personal revenge and wrath. In James 1.20, it says, For the wrath of man does not produce what? The righteousness of God. And this is what we see right here. Out of the overflow of his heart, 
but we don't see Absalom standing up to him saying, have sex with my father's concubines? Ah, yeah, that's sort of weird. Absalom goes along with it, so it's his own wicked heart. But understand, guys, when you start down this path, there is no end except a demonic end. Follow along with me in James 3, verse 13 to 16. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. If you have bitter envy, self-seeking in your hearts, like Absalom did, like Ahithophel did, do not boast and lie against the truth. It's not revenge. It's righteousness. It's what God wants. No. This wisdom does not descend from above. But it is. I'm telling you, God wants this. No. It's earthly, minimally, sensual of the senses, and sexual is one of them, and thirdly, demonic. Where envy, self-seeking exists, envy in Absalom, self-seeking in Ithafel, confusion and what? Say it with me. Every evil thing are there. Do you understand what this is today? This is a cautionary tale that if this kind of thing could happen to this kind of man, it could happen to any of us. And the point when you say, I'll be honest with you, it has turned to bitterness. Guys, you got to deal with it now. And you're not going to find it easy at any point in time. It's going to be like pulling out a wisdom tooth. It's going to be like pulling a tree trunk out of the dirt. Anybody ever have that joy of digging a tree trunk up? Man. And so we go on to see that in verse 23, it tells us about Ahithophel. And in essence, it's throwing this verse in now after this by saying, look at how far he has fallen. Before this, before this happened where he gave Absalom this advice, go take your father's wives up there and openly so everybody can see it on the rooftop, have sex with everyone that's there, 10 of them. He says this advice, he tells us that, that, Abs, that Ahithophel gave in those days was the one that had inquired of the oracle of God. So was the advice of Ahithophel, listen, both with David and with Absalom. Not just with David, but Absalom as well. Understand that God said to, Abs, to Ahithophel, I'm giving you the gift of wisdom. It probably was evident even as a child. And then in his teen years, he was wiser than the most. And then in his adulthood, he, he began to hone it and, and to realize and, and understand that his brain is a little sharper, that his life is a little more disciplined, that he makes a few less foolish choices than, than most young people. And then as he got into adulthood, he realized what's happening with me is amazingly unique. And the thoughts that I think are unique and wise. And now you realize that God's wisdom, well, once his heart started getting bitter, he quit being this wise person. No, he didn't. Read that again. He was as equally wise with Absalom. Well, what about that advice? 
I didn't say the advice to Absalom, he gave Absalom was holy or righteous, but it was wise because it told all the people that, that Absalom was serious and not turning back. There was no compromise. He had made himself abhorrent to David and there would never be retreat. There would never be a treaty. It was to the death. So it was wise in a shrewd way, but I didn't say it was righteous wise. I just said it was wise in a earthly, sensual, demonic kind of way. Understand guys, Romans eleven twenty nine, for the gifts and the calling of God are what? Irrevocable. Remember where Jesus says in that day, some will come and say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, who are you? <laughs> and they start saying, I listen to you in the marketplace. And then they start saying, Lord, I'm a prophet. I prophesied in your name. And another guy says, I've cast out demons in your name. And does Jesus argue with them? No, you didn't. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. Yes, you did. No. <laughs> he said, yeah. But you've lived after your own iniquity. You've lived after your own lustful life. You've not done my will. Be gone, you doers of iniquity. You have no part in my kingdom. But, but these guys prophesied, but these guys did miracles. Yeah, they did. So let's understand, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And somebody can continue to walk even in the supernatural gifting of God's spirit without themselves being right with God. And this is how a lot of Christians get in trouble. They start compromising and sinning and they're like, but, but I still led people to Christ but I'm still teaching great, but I still know the scripture, but I'm still giving words of wisdom. I'm still counseling people. All this spiritual fruits coming from me, but yet I'm not walking in obedience. So I guess God doesn't really care. You know, I think down at that church, they're a little uptight about being holy and righteous. God doesn't really care that much about it because man, I, I'm just flowing in the power that I've always flown in. Guys, be careful with that kind of thinking. The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable, whether you're walking in righteousness or not. It's a scary thought. But again, let's understand the deep, how deep the level goes with bitterness. In Hebrews 12, verse 14 to 15, it says this, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which, how many people, guys? No one will see the Lord. Let's just stop right there a minute. There's not going to be anybody standing before the Lord who has nurtured a bitter heart. But, but Lord, I prophesied in your name. Lord, I, I, I've done miracles in your name. But you allowed that anger to turn into bitterness, to turn into self-righteousness. You, you, you had such a, a bitter heart that you're saying God is in your revenge and in your evil thoughts. And, and it, that wisdom didn't come from above. It was first started with you. It was earthly. And then Satan got a foothold in your heart and it became demonic. And then he goes on to say, so a holy heart towards men and a holy heart towards God. Both are important, are essential. And then he says in verse 15, looking carefully, lest anyone, that's us, you, me, fall short of the grace of God. Understand, God puts us in situations 
to have a greater love, to have a greater forgiveness. So let, let's say on a scale one to a hundred, and we start into this life at a one, uh, of a heart of forgiveness, and then somebody wrongs us and we grow to a, a five on our forgiveness scale, <laughs> and then somebody wrongs us deeper and we gotta go to a 10, and then all of a sudden somebody really wrongs us and we got to go to a 75. <laughs> okay, do you understand? What's going to happen next? You are going to be hurt deeper still for God's love to be greater in your heart still. And love never fails. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Interesting, in Matthew 18, Jesus has a whole chapter there on forgiveness, where Peter said, how many times shall we forgive our brothers? 70 times, you said 70, 70 times, seven daily, he adds, it, he adds in the Gospel of Luke. And then he tells a story, you know, about the guy who is forgiven billions of dollars, and then he goes out and finds another guy who owes him a couple of bucks and starts strangling him and throws him in jail until he gives him his couple of bucks back and they go tell the master, that guy you just forgave billions, just strangled the guy and threw him into jail for a couple of bucks. And he calls him back in and he said, how could you not just forgive that guy a couple of bucks after I forgave you billions? And he says, take this man, don't just put him in prison, Put him in the part of the prison where the torture chambers are and torture him until he pays back every penny. And Jesus ends Matthew 18, looking at the multitude and says, and so shall my heavenly father do to you if you don't forgive your brother from the heart. Well, then we go into chapter 19 where they ask about marriage hey, can we divorce for any reason? Or, and, and Jesus ends up concluding by saying, you know, divorce happens for one reason, hardness of heart. Whoa, didn't see that coming. He says, yeah, there's some legitimate reasons to divorce and remarry, but you know what? If people understood not to draw a line, to let love believe all things, but, but he committed adultery on me. She committed adultery on me. Hope all things. They asked for forgiveness. They said they'd never do it again, and they did do it again. Endure all things. But, but what I know right now, what I'm experiencing, the anger in my heart, I can't do it. I know you can't do it because God has a greater heart of forgiveness and mercy and love and grace. And God is going to turn this situation around for good by growing you spiritually. Or Satan's going to come in there as he's right now doing, trying to get a wedge with his foot in the door to cause you to be earthly, sensual, demonic. You're in the valley of decision. Which trail are you going to take? Are you going to stay on that narrow road that leads to life? Well, how do, I, how do I do that? Matthew, he says, you pray for them. Well, that's, you know, it says also do good to them, love them, feed them. You know, just, just start with the prayer one. Okay, God, don't kill them with Ebola after all. Well, that's a start. <laughs> that's not a good start. It's a start because you've been praying for them to die from the most hideous disease on earth. Um, you got to come to the place where you can with joy 
pray every blessing on them you want to fall on you. And now you've got to go. <laughs> it says if they're hungry, feed them. It says to greet them. It says to bless them in every possible way. And you say, well, okay, I'm praying for them. That's enough. Nope, evidently not. <laughs> it could have been enough. But just because you said that, it's not enough now. Because you're drawing a line. So think right now the person that you love the most on this earth and now say the same feelings and love I have towards that person, your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, whoever it is, do I have the same love for that enemy of mine? And if you don't, there is a root system going on. And what does it say there in Hebrews 12? You've fallen short of the grace of God and if you do, what's going to happen? There's going to be a root of bitterness that's going to spring up. It's going to surprise you. You're out looking at dirt one day, and all of a sudden there's this flowing spring the next day. It was there. It was underground. It was building up pressure. It was getting ready to bust up through the ground, but now it's come up, but it's not beautiful spring. It's bitterness. And by this, many become defiled. And now look on in, in Hebrews 12, verse 16 and 17, you end up getting past the point of no return. Then what happens is you become a fornicator. Interesting. What did Absalom and Ahithophel do? They became fornicators, didn't they? They became sexually immoral people. This word in the Greek is pornea. And then they became a profane person. For example, Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know, and this is important, guys, in verse 17 of Hebrews 12, that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. His bitterness came to the place of no return. And guys, let me tell you what happened. It went into his children, into his children's children, until eventually the people of Edom, the Edomites were his lineage. When Israel was being attacked by the Babylonians, stopped them at the border, let the Babylonians catch up with them and torture them and kill them. They didn't do it themselves, they just stopped them so the Babylonians could do it. And we have a little tiny book, one page called Obadiah. And God said, I am wiping out the Edomites, till there's none left because you were unable to forgive your brother Jacob. It defiled many. You think, well, I'm bitter and nobody knows it. <laughs> I'm angry and it's not going on to anybody else. Guys, your bitterness goes airborne <laughs> just by breathing around your kids, just by breathing around others. It's, it's there. It's a spirit. We're spirit beings, aren't we? We're soulish beings. We can sense. Somebody can be acting all happy, and you can sense a sadness. They can be acting like, oh, they're so righteous, and you sense that, no, you're not, you're not as you're proclaiming. There's something else going on here. Brother, how can I pray for you? And so, believe me, it's not going farther as you think it is going. And so what do we learn here with Ahithophel? 
that it can bring him down, any of us down. In Ephesians 4, in verse 30 and 32, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In verse 31, let's read it together. Ephesians 4, 31. Let all, what? Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, be put away from you with all malice. Continue on to verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Save the words, I love you. Don't, don't think that I could, well, I told the person I love them, so case, case close. What did David say in the Psalms? They come and they say they love me and they're loyal and, and then they go off and they spew poison on others. I'm telling you, be kind. If you can't, it's the first thing. Just let kindness come from you. And you'll see very quickly, if you don't have a kindness, you won't have a tenderheartedness, you're not forgiving. You're not walking as Christ has forgiven you. Well, what happened was, is that Ahithophel gave some advice where he would go out and kill David himself. Hushi gave an advice where there would be a battle, but Absalom would be the hero and the leader of the story. And Absalom chose that version, Hushi's version, over Ahithophel's version. And ending here today in 2 Samuel 17, 23. So when Ahithophel saw that his vice was not followed, he saddled a donkey, arose, went home to his house, to his city, he put his household in order and what? Hanged himself like Judas and died. And he was buried in his father's tomb. Now, guys, I, I don't want to make it sound like this is every situation with suicide. Even this last year, a guy that I knew years ago, and they got in contact as they couldn't deal with what was going on mentally with the family. And... Uh, the guy I was talking to, he was just gone. His brain was gone, his emotions, it was just, it wasn't him talking. He, there, there had been mental illness in the family and uh, it, it wasn't uncommon for people to have these kind of breakdowns in their 40s as he was having. Well, anyway, he just kept doing crazier things till they locked him up and he hung himself in, in the jail. Did, did he kill himself? I, I don't think so. His, his brain was gone. It wasn't him. It wasn't any form. It was the chemicals in his brain, and they were going crazy, and, and, and he wasn't himself. But there are clear points, like Judas. The Bible tells us that he is going to hell. The Bible tells us that. It would have been better had he never been born. Ahithophel clearly had his facilities, he went home, very much in control, got everything in order, got his will, checked it all out, got make sure everybody knew what they were doing. If he happened to die, you're in charge of this, you're in charge of that. Hey, kids, love you, let me give you a kiss. Hey, I just want to tell you one more time I love you. He was completely in control. He went and killed himself out of bitterness. You see, bitter people kill themselves because they want the poison to live on. In this kind of situation, they want you to feel guilty. I should have been. 
I could have been. I should have heard him. I should have helped him. I should have told him I loved him. I should have, you know, and everybody, it goes on and on and on. They just keep filling. They keep getting poisoned and repoisoned week after week, month after month, as long as they live. And more than anybody, he wanted David to think, because you so violated, humiliated me and my whole family, I'm dead today because of you, David. He wanted the news to come to David. Ahithophel had killed himself and David to just be poisoned with his bitterness forever. Guys, understand that bitterness, the anger leads to bitterness, leads to a self-righteousness. Your brain is no longer your own. Logic, forgiveness, communicate, it doesn't matter what you say. It's now God is in this. And understand, it keeps decaying until it defiles many. And then it brings you to the point to say righteously, everybody else is unrighteous but me. Everybody else is wrong but me. Everybody's pure and holy and, and lived a right life but me. So poor me, I'm going to kill myself. And all of you are going to know that I was the righteous one. But unrighteousness lived on because man's evil and there's a devil but we all know the truth. I'm the righteous victim in this story. And you say, well, that, that can never happen to me. Let me tell you something. It can happen to anybody. As you're feeling today with all your emotions and all of that, it'll never happen. It can happen. Because it, it's a root. It grow, that can, it's a root system. And that root system just keeps growing and growing. And so right now, before we leave here today, we need to just stop right now. Every one of us, wherever you're at, it's like, well, I'm a little angry, but how long has that anger been around? You need to stop. And if it comes to mind, God's Holy Spirit's bringing you to mind right now, somebody. I want you right now just to start praying blessings upon them. Start asking God to give you opportunities to greet them to give to them, to serve them. And right now, you know, as we're going to go into this song of prayer, John, come on up. Um, you may need just to get on your knees for a little bit. I also have asked the leaders and their wives to come forward, and, and they're going to be here in the front and even on the sides. And they're going to be there to just lay hands on you and pray for you. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another, pray for one another, you be healed. You don't have to go into detail. Just say, this fits me today. Pray for me, brother. I, I need God's Holy Spirit to help me. I need the prayer of the saints to lay hands on me. Afterwards, we have oil here. If you want to get anointed with oil, we'll do that. But this is, this is a time you say, well, great message, Brian. Pierces me deeply. deeply. I, I want to get out there and eat some food and think about this and process it. And, and tomorrow morning, I'll really, you know, give it <laughs> the hee-haw college try and get that bitterness out of my life. No, it, it, it doesn't work that way. Today is the day of salvation. So, you know, just humble yourself. If that's getting up and having hands laid on you, if that's just getting on your knees and praying, if that's just sitting right where you're at, but don't leave here with absolute all roots, all vines, all little tiny weeds, whatever it is, 
It needs to be ripped out, tore out. And you have a holiness, a peace before God, yes, but also before every man on this earth. And if you can't, just, just tell God that. God, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I, I'm submitted, but help my unsubmittedness. Lord, I, 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 I love, but help my unlovingness. Lord, whatever it is, just let me leave here today pure and righteous before you and man. Let's just sit here quietly for a minute. first step is very, very, very hard. To start that, to see that root be killed and ripped up, there's going to be bleeding. <laughs> You're going to have to die for life to happen. You're going to have to be wounded, crushed, bruised. Death working in you that life can be in others. All righteousness, self-righteousness has to go. You can't stand and be right and be right with God. Yes, it doesn't matter how wrong they were. It doesn't matter how right you are. It doesn't matter how much a victim you were and how evil they were at a level that human men don't forgive. Just, Lord, bless them. Pour your spirit upon them. Give them all the blessings. Open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings more than they can contain. We're going to end the service right now, and John's going to play another song. Guys, go grab your kids, get some food. But if you're needing prayer, as people trickle out, you trickle down. And you come and let these guys in these next few minutes lay hands on you and pray for you. Lord, as people go today, Lord, just pour your spirit upon them. Pour your grace. Let your face shine upon them and give them your peace. And Lord, as we are heading to next Sunday, the Calvary Family Day, just meet us powerfully, Lord. So we come early to eat and fellowship and worship. And every week after that, we just give this fall season into your hand. And, and the men's ministry and women's ministry and the college and high school and all the various things that are coming together, Lord, just pour your spirit and just do a mighty work amongst us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you.